you study hard and learn to dance as if your life depends on it. Because when you ask someone to dance, first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they certainly criticize you, then finally you become a great tango dancer. Then they say, he never invites us to dance. <laughs> I wonder why. Hi, this is Al from Tango Chicago. Over the course of many years, we get to meet a lot of interesting people. In fact, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a more interesting group of people in tango. And we always like to say, everybody's got a story. Well, this is a story about a guy and his wife who survived severe discrimination in their country. And they were able to overcome all the obstacles and live the American dream. It's said a man can never cross the sea unless he has the courage to lose sight of the shore. And Vlad, he didn't retreat from the Soviet Union. He just advanced to the American dream. And he understood that if he wanted to have a great future, what he had to do was to create it. So we hope our conversation with Vlad and Galena will inspire you. Hello, handsome. How you doing? Starting point. <laughs> How's it going today, man? Right so far. So so How far so good. good. You have you eaten already? Uh, you just having a little margarita or what? No, I don't have uh, any margaritas. I I do the straight drinks. I don't do cocktails. Wine or whiskey? Wine. Oh, yeah, well, that's not really a drink. That's just a little... No, it's not. It's not, of course. Yeah, yeah. that's what we call a little spirits. Yeah, but it's a liquid, right? So... <laughs> oh, my goodness. You, got, you guys ready for me? You got the wife ready, too? The wife was a little busy, actually. She was communicating with, with her Belarusian friends and relatives yeah. using the opportunity. Yeah. If if I can, she says she, she, she trusts me. Hey, how you doing, yeah, sweetie? I, I'm here, but the interview will be given by Vlad, okay? That's okay. I told him, you know, what I would say. <laughs> so he knows. I'm afraid not you, not me. We both <laughs> don't have enough power. Yeah, but she was teaching me all night yesterday of how to answer questions. So, and we did the recital. So that's what. Okay, so you're going to be able to speak from a woman's point of view, too. So, okay, that's fine. As long as you can speak from a woman's point of view, I don't have a yeah, problem if, with it. You, you're going to... If you have kind of problem with, uh, <laughs> how would I say it? 
Yeah, I'm trying to <laughs> I'm trying to express myself. What I'm saying is, <laughs> if you have difficulties with any kind of perception, uh-huh. I can make it when I speak for myself. Uh-huh. It's the voice like that. If I speak uh, <laughs> on her behalf, you going you going to change your voice, right? Yes, I will say yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, good. All right. Long as I know when it, which one the information is coming from, that's good. It's all right. I can. I, I'm I'm used to it by now, so it's okay. I'm talking to. Actually, I'm speaking on Memorial Day. What's today's date? The twenty fourth or the twenty fifth? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. The twenty. It's either the twenty fourth or the twenty fifth of May, Memorial Day, mm-hmm. and I'm speaking with Vladimir. Rappaport, and he's also the proxy for his beautiful wife, Galena Rappaport. So if you don't hear her voice and he's speaking for her, it's been agreed upon, and he's speaking in her stead. So I don't want you to think something's wrong with your microphone. This this is a traditional tango situation. The woman is always in control. Vlad, I'd like you to start at the beginning, please. I know your history. I've been knowing you for a long time, but there are people who would be interested to know where you came from, when you came, what you've been doing since you've been here, and then I'd like to probe into your tango beginnings. But right now, if you could start me from home, where you started from, what you were doing, how it all came that you got here, it would be of interest. I think it's an interesting story. Okay. Can you fill me in? Be as detailed as you like. I got I got all day. Okay. Migrated from Belarus, which became an independent country from the former Soviet Union in 1993. And we already had two kids at that time and lots of great expectations. My background, I'm a former scientist and Galina was more like a technical translator and mm-hmm. business analyst. We started our life renting an apartment in northern Chicago, not thinking of any kind of entertainment. And in about three years after we've emigrated, we were able to settle somehow. So we bought the house in one of the northern suburbs and started living like more or less normal American life. Okay. Took us a while to realize there is another world which exists in a parallel manner. So and we had no idea about that kind of world. It was Tanga world. We got in accidentally. It was probably around 2007 or. 2008, when our friends, they found some tango teachers, mm-hmm. and their group, they wanted a few more people mm-hmm. to make it profitable for the teachers. They asked us to join. You immigrated from Belarus. Did you do any dancing in Belarus? No. Actually, Galina participated in some dancing group while she was in college. I've never danced anything beyond some Russian restaurant type dancing. <laughs> you mean after a few vodkas you were dancing? Yeah. After that, no formal dancing is what you're saying, right? No formal dancing. You know, I I had a problem when I was a child. I actually like how people dance. Yeah. But in the Soviet Union, that time, 
Mm-hmm. We had real limited opportunities to join dance group. It was not for everybody. It was the high selection. I was blocked from doing any <laughs> dances because... Uh, so if you weren't Barishnikov, you couldn't get into a troupe. Is that what you say? Yeah, you know, they had those children dance groups and such. You have to go through the particular audition. And <laughs> one one of the parts of it, you have to be physically perfect, which means if you have hurt a leg, uh-huh. you are not getting in. <laughs> which, actually, which actually makes because if you look at the uh, highly competitive ballet schools, yeah. traditional ballet schools, yeah. they will not let any girl or boy with the curved leg to be a student. Uh, so <laughs> that's, that's absolutely because it, it's actually, you know, the reason, just imagine even the gifted ballerina or the ballet dancer with the curved legs, the picture will be just uh, not that pleasant. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So you had to have yeah. a certain aesthetic in order to be a part of the dance troupe. Is that right? Y- yes, that's right. Okay. And we didn't have that kind of schools for social dancing. Later they appeared, but we were not interested. We had some busy adult life surviving there and so it was probably the last thing on our list so the social dancing that was done didn't require much any training but so you didn't even get involved in social dance right you know like whatever folk dancing that went on there no no because the folk dancing it's also it was not any random but well organized the dance troupe, a particular teacher, election as well. Whatever it is, whether it's ballroom, whether it's folk dancing, whatever. Mm-hmm. If you look at, at the well-known and famous Russian Soviet dance groups, yeah. you will see that the performance there, they respond to the particular body standard. <laughs> well, the bottom line is that at that time, probably it wasn't cultural part of the Soviet Union to let anybody who wants to do something to actually do it in right. the in the in any organized way. If, for example, I would be very desperate, I would probably find some kind of private teacher. But what would it be? It was nothing but uh, some activities. We had some dancing in school. The most popular social dance was the waltz, traditional waltz, and some people could do it. The other types of dance were just something freelance, or that's what people call tango. It's just an embrace with the slow side steps. Yeah, American, American tango, international style, yeah. Yeah, that's what it is. That's the most we did occasionally, but nothing else. Mm-hmm. Nothing actually serious, nothing, you know, sophisticated. And we even had no idea what the real tango is. All we knew, just a couple famous tunes like Kumparsita, some old songs from Polish and Russian composers. What, what was your pastime like? Were you, what did the men in Russia, how did they entertain themselves? Was it sports? Was it music? Was it, you know, since it wasn't dance, what was the, what was the favorite pastime of most men in, in your country? 
Well, people, they did dancing. As I said, it was some events, like some balls, where people came and they could dance socially, like I said, yeah. walls or whatever. Some but, restaurant dancing as well. But I'm it, saying for the people who didn't dance, let's say like yourself, you're not a dancer when you came here or when you were there, what, what would you do for entertainment? Like here in this country, people that don't dance, they play soccer, they play football, they play baseball, they bowl, yeah, yeah. ice skate. What What was your hobby or what was your pastime that kept you entertained? Lots of ways to entertain. Movie, mm -hmm. theater, the place, different types of hobbies like photography or whatever, recreational sport. During summertime, people were doing something agricultural. Many people, they had like, summer houses with the little pieces of land to work at grow some vegetables and fruits uh, and so, yeah reading book communicating with friends playing chess so uh, now i need you to speak from the wife's mind and tell me what she enjoyed doing when at the same time how did she spend her time what was her hobbies or sports what did she like doing when she wasn't working what was speaking from the woman's point of view, what was her pastime and her passions? Yeah, it, it wasn't any particular passion because she became a mother pretty early. So, you know, the parenting duties uh, were taking lots of time. Mm -hmm. And actually, we used different opportunities to entertain ourselves. And if it's a summertime, we were going to some suburban forest areas, yeah. uh, you know, to to pick mushrooms, uh, to do some fishing, to, you know, just uh, to go through the forest. Outdoors is her passion. Uh, camping, fishing? No, camping camping wasn't an option. She liked comfort very much. Uh, so <laughs> well, you don't go fishing in comfort. You got to rough it if you're fishing. Uh, you're picking yeah, mushrooms. You don't pick mushrooms in a, in a formal dress with high heels. Uh, yes, but you don't spend night in a tent. Oh, I see. Know. Okay. It's so just one day trip. When you go there, then you set up some campfire and enjoy a nice time. That's what it is. I got you. Okay. I got the picture now. You decided you are the wife that you wanted to immigrate. What, who, whose decision was that? Actually, it probably, if it's not me, we probably will not immigrate. As for the decision-making, it wasn't any push from anybody's side. Mm -hmm. It was just the mutual. What was the decision based on? Was it based on work? Was it based on opportunity? Was it based on curiosity? Did you have friends that said, hey, you need to do this? It'll you're going to have more opportunity. What was the motivating uh, underlying factor that made you take the leap? How? Well, a little bit of everything, but the main reason is I am Jewish by my blood. Practically everybody in the Soviet Union were atheists. Uh, I mean, religion was kind of the last thing people were concerned about. Yeah. That's why when I say I am Jewish, 
Mm-hmm. It didn't mean I was any religious. I actually had very little idea about uh, Jewish religion and Jewish culture, etc. But I was Jewish by blood. My parents were Jews, right. and uh, their parents were Jewish, etc., etc. So Soviet Union at that time, it's well known that Jews in the Soviet Union were discriminated. Okay. So I was not as equal as the Russian people were. Okay. So it actually affected my life in a negative manner okay. in terms of everything, in terms of going to college, in terms of getting a job, in terms of getting promoted, in terms of everything. So you sound like you know what it's like to be a minority, huh? Well, uh... <laughs> it sounds like you're talking about black people. <laughs> You know what? You are probably closer to the reality more than you think because it sounds like you are joking. No, I'm not joking. Hey, when you say you've been discriminated against in job, education, and opportunity, that's the black experience. But you see, uh, when you say black, when when people are black, yeah, it's quite visible. You know, you 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 can't claim that you are John Smith. Uh, you know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, it's like when those cameras call me yeah. over the phone yeah. and with the tough Indian accent yeah. saying, oh, I'm John Smith, <laughs> I, I, I just start laughing. <laughs> so anyway, uh, R- R- Russian people were able to recognize Jews by the nose by eyes. I didn't have any accent or whatever. Mm-hmm. And to make it emphasize, yeah. I had that line in my passport indicating that I'm actually Jewish. That was sort of your identification given to you by by Russians, right? By government. Yeah, yeah. government. So they identified a nationality on your on your papers right away. They don't Yeah, even even if I say I'm Ivan Petrov uh, you know, <laughs> my passport. <laughs> There's no way for you to fake it, right? Yes, uh, kind of difficult. Uh, <laughs> okay, all right, I got it. Yeah, so- the, wife, the wife was ethnically Russian, uh, uh, unlike me. Okay. So I was discriminated, it affected her as well. The kids were going to experience the same thing. And it was like a storm. We both came from military families. Our parents were fighting during the World War II. And uh, my parents both were communists. They were not thinking about immigration or whatever. They accepted the fate of being discriminated, dealt with that, but it wasn't in my family that uh, we don't belong there. So we, we always considered ourselves as the product of Russian culture. Gotcha. And so that's why I didn't get it from my parents. I didn't have all those desires, like from the young age, to get out of that. So it was a realization that as you became an adult that you you weren't gonna uh, make good progress if you stayed. Is that is that basically what happened? Yeah, I didn't want my kids to experience the same thing, and lots of friends around us started leaving the country. It was kind of like a virus pandemic sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Everybody around you just saying goodbye and you are staying there so, um, and 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 the government didn't try to 
stop you from leaving or no? Oh. Well, it was the time where it was really difficult, but At that particular time, it was an open window because Boris Yeltsin became a president yeah. and he, he got a kind of good relationship. So right. that's why part of the deal between the Soviet Union yeah, and United States was Russia allowed Jewish people to go without any significant... Yeah, so, so you had a you had a window of opportunity and you, you decided to take it. Yes, uh -huh. exactly. So let's say you immigrated here, you came here. Now, did the U.S. welcome you with open arms? Did you get good assistance? Did they say, hey, you, you got out of a place and, and we're going to help you do this? Or was it a struggle? Did you find you were discriminated against when you got here? What was... What, what was your reality when you came here? What did you feel? Did you feel like you had, it was progress, or do you feel like it was difficult? Well, it was difficult to adjust yourself to very different culture, and uh, language barrier also was a significant. We were lucky enough because America interviewed us mm -hmm. before allowing us to enter the country, and we received so-called refugee status. Okay. So it was easy to prove that we were discriminated in the Soviet Union, so mm -hmm. that's why we received that refugee status, which made it much easier for us compared to other ethnicities. What was the advantage, though? You got okay, the refugee... Mm -hmm. In a year, we were allowed to get the green card okay. immediately. But even without green card, with that ethos, we had 100% right to work. Okay. So we could start making money immediately on arrival. Okay, so that's the that's the advantage of having the refugee status, right? Yeah. Okay. It's an advantage. Ability to work right away and legalization in a year. So because receiving a green card opens lots of opportunities right. for, for any immigrant. Right. And uh, we were that lucky. Yeah. But with respect to some life difficulties, it was all expected. It's not like we actually feel that the entire country, the United States, is so much waiting for us that they're just crying of being happy. <laughs> so it wasn't like that, of course. But we were... when you got here, you felt like you had much more opportunity, uh, chances for opportunity than at, than at home, basically, right? Yes and no. Yes and no. As for myself, I actually expected to continue as the scientist. And I was looking for a position. Universities, businesses, laboratories, where I expected to get a job right. as, a, as a physicist. But apparently, maybe just a matter of my bad luck or uh, it was objective at that time. The opportunities to get a job as a scientist were very minimal. What happened, actually, we immigrated pretty soon after Soviet Union collapsed. Mm -hmm. So after collapse, it didn't become such a great, powerful enemy as it used to be. Right. The consequence was it implied some relief on financing expensive military projects. Because of that, lots of scientific grants from military were just simply cut off and lots of scientific professional jobs and okay. you know, okay. fill the market. Mm -hmm. So that's why like, I was receiving 
polite answers from hundreds of universities. Yeah, that position, we had like 300 applicants or 500 applicants. Uh So jobs jobs were scarce in your industry, in your field. Yeah, uh, it required either some kind of extreme luck, which I didn't get. Mm-hmm. Or, like, I'm sure if I'm kind of Einstein caliber, mm-hmm. I would get a job, but I wasn't. I was a good professional, but not anything close to be a genius one. So how did you so, survive since the jobs were in, in your field that you wanted to concentrate in were were not available? So how did you survive? Like everybody else, I didn't hesitate to take any job. Mm-hmm. At that time, I started uh, actually <laughs> distributing flyers uh, from some painting business in Evanston. Yeah. Just walking from house to house and leaving the flyers. And it was like, what, $5 an hour job, which I took. Then when, I, when we bought a car, which happened in six months after our immigration, yeah. I started delivering so which gave me some cash for living and uh, during that time my wife were taking programming courses right and i was working like that taking the simple job taking care of kids mm-hmm. so that was that, that's how we survived so- then, sounds like a typical american family then yeah and then i found a kind of job with the very minimal pay but lots of opportunities at the northwestern university physics and astronomy department yeah which i, which I took mm-hmm. and it was kind of pretty well for me, there, I, I was able to more or less significantly do some research, and I got a promise to get a full-time position. Yeah. But unfortunately, because of all of those circumstances, cutting off grants and such and budget, I was told that it didn't happen this year. I have to wait a year. Right. And nobody kicked me away from there, but the pay was all... We were keep renting kind of small apartment in northern Chicago and kids were not able to go to any decent school and I was not able to provide funds, extracurriculum activities, whatever, sport, music, etc. Yeah. Simply because of because of that. And I was already at that time, I was already when they immigrated, I was thirty six years. I, I was getting close to forty and I couldn't uh, afford anymore waiting. Right, right. I've decided didn't happen to me. I probably have to try something else. Mm-hmm. And I changed gears and moved to business direction. And pretty quickly, I got hired by a big American consulting company and started getting kind of decent pay. Mm-hmm. And uh, in 1996, pretty soon, after I got my job and just forgot to say that my wife got a good job just a year before that. So, but for one good pay, it was still wasn't possible to get what we wanted. Uh, so after I got a job, we bought a house in Vernon Hills mm-hmm. and started living normal middle class American life. Wow, that's a long way. That's a that's you took the long way around, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I didn't regret it. Yeah, some people who came late mm-hmm. when when economy started improving here. 
Yeah. And they had much better opportunities to get a scientific job. At that time, I probably could go back, but I've decided this door has been closed. I just have to move on. That's it. So I didn't turn back, and I, I kept moving as it is. We got what we wanted. You stayed in the business arena and not, not in scientific, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it wasn't that interesting, mm-hmm. but it allowed to pay the bills and have, we got good school, we got, uh, we got a house, mm-hmm. we got the opportunity to travel, we got, we got a lot for the money. That was your story. Now, how long did it take the wife to finish up her advanced studies? What was her trick? How long did it take for her to finish and get a job that she liked? Less than a year, actually. Oh, Okay. Yeah, in less than a year, she finished all of that and got a good job downtown Chicago. Okay. So that's why, you know, she got a taste what the normal office job is, Mm -hmm. and uh, and she liked it, and she liked challenges, and uh, so she was happy with that kind of arrangement. Okay, so now you guys are working, you're assimilating in the country, families being raised, you got the house. What got what got you looking for other things other than work? What how how oh, did... we, we always we never actually were focused on work only. Okay. So. You were doing traveling while you were starting the new jobs? Were you traveling already, or did you wait until you built up some time and equity at the job? Or were, were you taking your vacations right away and traveling? No? Yeah, affordability was under consideration. So our very first trip, when we just got our green car, and I, at that time I didn't have actually a decent job, and I was a pretty good driver because of my pizza delivery experience. And <laughs> because, uh... So the pizza delivery gave you the experience to be a great driver to go drive across country, huh? <laughs> yes, because I didn't drive from the Soviet Union. I didn't have a car. Oh, okay. You didn't have a car in Russia? No, Oh, okay. no car. Oh, all right. Well, that's a new experience. Okay, so what was your first trip? Niagara Falls. I made all these thousand miles trip uh, in one day. Get out of here. Are you serious? You took the whole family? Mm-hmm. Yeah. To Niagara Falls? Yeah. Wow. And not from the New York side, from Canadian side. Really? Yeah, where the view is better. That's why we were waiting for green cards, because uh, if you travel, we could travel without green card inside the United States, but uh, it was Canada, so that's why we needed the green green card to get back. So, ah, okay. It was it was our first international trip. We were staying in some inexpensive motel, but it was good enough for us. We liked it. In the years since your first Canadian Niagara Falls trip, what's some of the places that you liked the best that you visited? After that, or uh, At, no, after every- yeah, since then, because that was your first trip. Obviously, you've been all over the world since then. So, what places have you been to that you really? enjoyed in your travels? Oh, we never had any disappointing vacation, to be honest. Everything was just... Well, uh, give me some places that you've been. Okay, all right. Uh, <laughs> one, it was a uh, Caribbean. Okay. It was 
interesting, but we've decided that we will not repeat this activity <laughs> in the near future. Okay. Because it, it, it was nice and good, but it was not enough physical activity. That's why we've decided we'll set up vacations where we can explore by ourselves. Okay. You know, not being dependent, dependent on schedule and uh, obstacles, etc. You don't want to be managed when you go on vacation. You want to have some freedom. Yeah, that's why we didn't like group tours. Once we had very nice, expensive trip which covered Switzerland, mm-hmm. Austria, mm-hmm. a little bit of that kind of yeah. tour. Yeah. It was actually great because we were able to visit something we would not be able to visit if we go by ourselves. Mm-hmm. It was a very difficult mountain area in Switzerland with the beautiful views, but I wouldn't be able to drive there, you know, even with my great <laughs> delivery experience. With the great uh, pizza driving experience, you couldn't drive through the Swiss, Swiss Alps, huh? Yeah, but we realized that we depend very much on the other people in the bus mm-hmm. and on the tour guide. Uh, for example, if she's not in the mood and uh, doesn't want to do her job, we are just stuck there. Yeah. But it was a great tour anyway because we were able to see a lot. And then it was uh, Paris, it was London several times, it was Italy, Rome, Florence, Venice, or Amalfi Coast. It was Spain, Madrid, and Barcelona hotels. Apparently, not that much. One of the latest was the Mexico City, which we liked very much, actually. Mexico City? And, yeah. And one of the best ones from the past was our trip to Canada, where we visited Ottawa, Montreal, and Quebec. Mm. It so, was a very good trip. This is your second trip to Canada, right? Actually, this one was the first. The second one was to Vancouver. Well, the one that you went to Niagara Falls, that was your first, right? Oh, yes, yes. Actually, yeah, yeah, I, I forgot. Yes. <laughs> I, yes, it was our first, then it was the second one, flight, Montreal, and we rented the car, and then we were just driving to, to their capital, and Quebec, the capital of the French Canada. It was awesome. Well, now, out of all the places that you've been, where is it you haven't gone that you really want to see? Oh, there are there is still a lot. I just I don't know. <laughs> so under, so under you, circumstances, you, uh, you just picking places on the map and saying, okay, we haven't explored this place, so we're gonna go. Or do you have some definite uh, places in mind that you want to go to? No, of course not. We are not blindly picking spots. We are doing some research and consider what would be the most interesting with our vacation schedule we were quite limited with our selection because of particular weather conditions so if if your vacation is scheduled during full time you definitely wouldn't go to northern canada <laughs> so you pick your vacation based on on the time based that you on, have and the weather right yeah also other points were taken into account yeah if you remember last year we visited Japan. Yeah. Did you like it? it? Oh yes, very much. Very wow. much. And you don't speak any other language other than English? Then Japanese. 
English and Russian. You don't speak Japanese, do you? No, you don't. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, but nowadays it's not that difficult because you have those apps which will help. Oh, trans help translate. Play. Okay. So you've you've had an extraordinary travel experience for humble beginnings. You know how you started out is not how you ended up. That's pretty interesting. Now you can tell me about how you ended up in tango and when. When did you start? I want to know okay. how, how that all came about. As I said, our friends invited us to join the group. I actually didn't even consider it because I realized that I'm not a dancer. And your legs are curved, right? <laughs> Legs are short, and uh, I was 50 years old with no real dancing experience and much. Mm -hmm. Not such a big desire to do anything, but so just it was actually so close our house, like uh, we could even walk to this place oh, okay. uh, to take this lesson. Okay. And, and it wasn't expensive because it was a group lesson. Right. And we considered it just as an additional opportunity to socialize with our friends because we knew few people from this group and the busy life we are always we always don't have enough time to talk mm -hmm. to people so we decided okay so why not let's give it a try and now these friends who are dancing they are they people who you said immigrated before you and said bye bye from when they were in Russia or are these friends that you met after you came here? No, the friends who pushed us there, it's another long story I'm not going to. <laughs> okay. Because it's an amazing story. It's actually my very close friend from the childhood yeah. who when the door, the window to America was still closed from the Soviet Union, mm -hmm. they immigrated Israel instead. They immigrated and we said the final goodbye to each other. All we had when they were in Israel just made a couple times a year phone call because it was quite expensive. Right. You know, international phone calls and such. And so then we've immigrated to the United States mm -hmm. and they were staying in Israel. Right. Then in a couple years they got contract and came here to work in the United States mm -hmm. for three years. It was a green card lottery. They were participating in that year by year and just before it was time for them to go back to israel they won green card get out of here so, what a story so the lottery kept them here in this country yeah they're here and we are we were able to reunite with my very close friend that's how it is so they pushed us there we started taking those lessons mm -hmm. It was, it was kind of fun, especially lots of fun when we look at some videos from this lesson. <laughs> so you start looking so at videos from, from your dance classes, huh? Yeah, it, it, it actually didn't look like any real tango. But anyway, I would say I was grateful to those guys because they introduced us to the tango wall. It was, they brought us to our first milonga. They got ready. We were no dancers at all. Mm -hmm. especially me. Mm -hmm. But we went to the Carlos 
place, remember? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Carlos. Uh-huh. Yeah, and we were seeing people dancing nicely, and it was impressive. We actually wanted to progress, but uh, for some reason, the progress with, uh, with our first teachers was kind of extremely low. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We started looking around. Some people suggested go and try some lessons with Netza, who was giving them at that time in Vilink, which was pretty close to our location. Yeah. So we went there, we started taking lessons with Netza, mm-hmm. and then it was a bit better progress, mm-hmm. and we were already hooked by by the beauty of Tango World and all this music we, we never expected. It's so widespread. Netza had at that time a very popular milonga. Yeah. So we were visiting that milonga, and obviously we were far away from being any decent dancer yeah. uh, you know, at that time, but we enjoyed the environment, we tried our best, etc. One day, a couple mm-hmm. approached us, uh, introduced themselves, mm-hmm. started asking questions, are you like tango or you don't like tango? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we like tango, they put that, but you don't dance well. Uh, like. <laughs> they were that direct, huh? <laughs> yeah, it was that direct. Uh, <laughs> He, he aggressively uh, pointed out <laughs> that I even have no idea about basic aid. <laughs> and, uh, brought me out of the room and started teaching this basic eight uh, <laughs> right away, which was a complete surprise to me. You, you don't have to. You don't have to guess who this is. Yeah, no, I don't know who did it, but I got an idea. <laughs> Yeah, it was Mike. <laughs> okay, well, that sounds like his personality. <laughs> so after I patiently learned his basic cake lesson, <laughs> he realized I'm not a bad guy. He invited me to the group for another set of kind of group, group private lessons, which, which were conducted by Neil. <laughs> So you went from one Nazi to the next one, right? <laughs> and it was it was fun. It was, you know, Milton, his personality and yeah, everything. Yeah, it, he's, it, he's, it, a, it was, he's a sweetheart, but uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, he he got his Nazism from me for sure. You know, if you you make one step that's wrong, he doesn't let you get past that step. <laughs> yeah, even when he's politely seven, that eventually. <laughs> Uh, he's hilarious. While taking those lessons, it was an advice from Misha and Lena mm-hmm. uh, to join you because they claim that your place is the best to get a proper foundation and everything. We took the risk and uh, never regretted it. And uh, so that's, that's how we actually started dancing. Wow. The, the remaining stuff, uh, you remember, we came to that place which wasn't on Michigan, but the other one, which which had some fire, and then you quit it. I, I don't remember another. What was that place? On Madison or on Wabash? Probably Wabash. Well, the Wabash was around the corner from Michigan. We were on Madison. Madison is where you probably came, right? When did you start with us? You started what year about? Probably 2008, something like that. 2008. 
Okay. For 2007. And I guess I guess more like 2008 than 2007. Okay. What was your regiment like? So did you actually, when you did the class, how much time did you go home and practice? How much time did you spend practicing on your own with you and the wife? Not much. We, we didn't have any hardwood floors. So our house is carpeted and we didn't have much opportunities, but we were taking notes and mm-hmm. we were trying just to remember the sequence. Mm-hmm. So the actual practice was happening only during our lessons with you. Between them, it was just an attempt to memorize. And we were kind of more than regular. We were coming at least three times a week, I believe. Wow. Time. So how did things change in the Milongas? When, at what point did you notice that you were getting around the floor better or that you, you had a better experience at the Milongas? How long did it actually take before you feel... Uh, our impression, the feedback from others, we spent a good year taking lessons from you. Okay. Without going to any Milongas, we realized completely that we are not ready to dance publicly at that time. Mm-hmm. And after a year and something, mm-hmm. we finally decided to go. And actually, you were pushing us to go. So we decided we'll go there. And people noticed uh, kind of significant difference, like between before and after. So Mike, and, Mike didn't twist your arms anymore, huh? Well, uh, uh, Mike was, oh, you were together we were around but <laughs> that's funny but uh, but, but <laughs> we we got some confidence and we started understanding how the dance would be so basically it wasn't any kind of humiliating event anymore well, <laughs> that's funny every time i hear that story about mike man you make me laugh let's see so you've been dancing well for since you said a year after 2008 that's 2009 this is this is 20, so 11 years you've been kicking butt on the dance floor, huh? Yeah, at least. Yeah, maybe 12. My memory is fading. I can double tell you because <laughs> she knows well when we started uh, lessons at your place. <laughs> what was that place, the first one, Vivian? It's not Michigan. No. <laughs> it wasn't the second it was kind of building <laughs> narrow narrow space narrow space uh, like long narrow room with narrow Flooding problem, maybe not a fire problem. Yeah, flooding. Second floor narrow. I just can't remember. Uh, oh well, well uh, that Aster was that on uh, Madison Street? Was that on ten ten uh, something West Madison? When we did that, you know what? You better ask him because at that ask him because at that time when that log happened and the building had to be closed. Uh huh. I think that was Madison because you Tim had to you had to Karen. take a, you had to take an elevator up, right? Yeah, Tim and Karen and other people like on Madison, she said yes, because they spent night moving you from from there with your famous look. <laughs> okay, yeah, that was that was Madison Street we were on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, yes. So that's why you can trace it back. At that time, there you had lots of good dancers like this. Sasha and Misha. Sasha and Misha and Nika. Nico. Yeah, remember uh, the one we celebrated his PhD at some point, and yeah. then he went 
to friends. Right. Uh, Nico is a... Yeah, he looked pretty good on the floor. Yeah. Unbelievable. Now, when you guys go out dancing and you've uh, been dancing quite a while, people get off the floor and watch you dance. And that's for a person who says that you didn't have the right body type to do dancing. But when you go out dancing now, the wife is looking great. I would probably definitely look better if I don't have that. (laughs) So I just realized how many leaders, they have even worse body structure (laughs) compared to mine. But still dancing great. Absolutely. You're right about that. You guys were married when you started Tango. And I'm doing a series on people who not only were married, when they started, but I'm doing a series on people who met and married at Tango. For you, how has Tango impacted or improved your relationship with the wife? Is it better? Is it adding spice? Does it keep keep Uh, you guys doing something together that you're interested in? What's the benefits to a married person when they're dancing Tango? That's that would be interesting to my guests. Yes, that's exactly the advantage because they just have different hobbies and it implies some significant separation. I don't know if it's better or worse, but in our case, the ability to have the same passion and spend our free time together, it's a big advantage. Uh-huh. And what about the social aspect? Do you think that the dance offers a decent social aspect for you to network with other people, or do you feel it's more of a lone wolf type of thing? About socializing, it's a completely different world, like I say, like a parallel world. It it opens us some doors, and even because it's it's very international, it's very popular internationally, and Mm -hmm. all around the country as well, you don't have to about how to spend free evening while on vacation because there is always Milonga somewhere and plan to go there, whether it's the United States or another country. It's it's fun. Do you uh, particularly look at Milongas or dance, social dance facilities to make a determination? Yeah. While planning vacation time, yeah, yes. Yeah, so so as a tango person, you that's a consideration before you decide to go somewhere. If they don't have tango, you might look at another place. Is that right? Well, unfortunately, the realization came that it is a priority but not the number one priority because many times what happened we were planning, we brought shoes, we brought tango uh, attire on vacation, we like found the places to go for dancing, mm-hmm. but our visiting schedule was so tight, walking through the cities and museums during the day was so tiring, we just sometimes didn't have enough energy <laughs> to mm-hmm. finally <laughs> to mm-hmm. finally go to those plants no longer. So mm-hmm. that's, well, that's because but, you spent uh, too much time in the museum, right? <laughs> yes. But, uh, when, when you travel, it, it's okay. Milonga, we have Milongas here in Chicago areas, but we don't have that kind of museums, that kind So you got to you know, take advantage of things you can't see in Chicago when you travel. Okay. Yes, it's a priority. But when we had a chance, we actually 
visited. We visited Milonga in Vancouver in Canada. We visited Milonga in Barcelona. Mm. So we visited Milonga on the Victoria Island in Canada. So How was the dancing in those places? Did you feel out of place? Did you feel like people were dancing better than you? What was the dance level in Canada and Spain? What Do you feel like you fitted in without having a problem? Yeah, we, we had that feeling that uh, whichever place we come, we are above average. That's why was nothing like any kind of embarrassment, you know. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> because uh, eventually the realization came at the beginning of our tango career. Mm-hmm. We directly or indirectly, we were trying to impress mm-hmm. the watchers. Right. Like, Look at us, we can do that and we can do that. Later, we got some kind of maturity in this uh, area. That's not as important anymore. Yeah, we knew where we are. We were able to put it aside, just have fun. Let me ask you from your wife's perspective, as a woman, which you're going to have to answer now, when you go to the Milonga as a woman... And as a follower, what kind of problems are you generally getting from the leaders that you'd like to see different, that you'd like to change? I need your input as a woman. <laughs> it's very easy. Okay. Tell me what the wife would be saying at this point. Well, every female dancer mm-hmm. dreams about the good okay. the good leader. Okay. Qualification of a good leader, it includes an ability to lead in a way to give the follower an opportunity to look good, express herself, mm-hmm. be the main part of, of the dancing. It's like in any relationship. Unfortunately, not many leaders they have such qualities. Mm-hmm. Often it's a struggle. The so-called leaders, they are insistent and they can't actually lead proper. Mm-hmm. So some of them, when especially when the music gets more complex, like Pugliese, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They can lose the sense of beat. Uh, they are not on the music. Whole bunch of problems. There are uh, not that many good leaders. Okay. So you, as a woman, speaking for your wife, yeah, is that less pleasurable going to a milonga when you have those leaders that aren't up to the task, or are you always hopeful that you're gonna dance with somebody who's fluid and musical? and fun or is it better for you to sit and say no thank you because I know it's going to be a bad dance or do you dance with a poor dancer anyway well as a woman you answering as your wife what do you say well of the record there is just one guy who was actually refused on his invitation and it's just because we we know him pretty well and we hope it didn't hurt his sensitive feelings as much <laughs> i guess who yeah I, I, you don't have to mention any names <laughs> so and he admitted the fate up inviting all he does <laughs> <laughs> Does. <laughs> he periodically stop by and say, did you change your mind? I, I, I would like to impress you. And, uh, 
Uh, well, at least at least but, he at least he's he's positive and hopeful, right? Well, he had enough. He claims he had enough admirers, you know. So that <laughs> if it's not there, if it's not here, it's there. Single women they prefer to dance somehow than not dance at all. Right, right. So they'll put up with a bad dancer just to get off the chair. Yeah. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. So and, uh, by, by the way, speaking on my male part. Uh, I was also a reject I rejected a couple times in my life by some good female dancers who probably didn't consider me as a good leader. How and, long How uh, long ago was that? I don't remember. I mean, was the it? point is, uh, yeah, now I understand that they were right, but that particular moment when I attempted to invite them, mm-hmm. I thought about myself that I am a pretty good dancer. Okay. But then, then I got sober and realized, no, I'm not. <laughs> so, just, just Kidding, but, uh, <laughs> it was a, it was a rude awakening and it was a little painful, but you realized that they were right, huh? I would say under any circumstances, I wasn't that bad, mm-hmm. and it was kind of rude from their side mm-hmm. to do it like that. Yeah. So because I I wasn't I've never was a kind who would do any kind of romantic moves mm-hmm. and such. Yeah. So I was always on the music. So, but whatever. Well, so we know what happened to you and it, it encouraged you to, to look inside and get better. And No, it wasn't any kind of encouragement for me, that it, kind of stuff. I knew pretty well without them rejecting me, my weak points. Okay. Uh, because we always had videos of us dancing and dancing and dancing. Kind of when when you don't see yourself, you can imagine. No, oh, you are dancing great, but when you see the clip, you, you see exactly <laughs> how you dance. And, uh, so you you can self police your own dancing, then basically. Yeah. Well, you yeah. you can look at your technique and look at your frame and look at your posture, but you still don't know how it feels to the follower until they give you feedback. You only know your part as a leader, but you don't know how that feels from the follower's perspective, right? You know what they think is when you invite somebody, another woman, and whether it's because whether it's because of their politeness or whether it's their little way to sort of bribe you, they compliment <laughs> you probably to encourage you to invite them again. It's a simple trick. It works. So, but uh, <laughs> you know, you know, know but, you're being tricked, and but you do it anyway, right? Yeah, but from the <laughs> other side, it doesn't fool me. <laughs> I know where. I am good and I know where I am not so good. So that's why I always appreciated honest feedback. I was never, uh, oh, you don't tell me I'm so good and you're nothing, that kind of stuff. I would would listen to anybody because sometimes even the person doesn't dance well, person can absorb something you are not thinking about and it could be very useful. I've never considered any comments negative 
comment as the opportunity to hurt my feelings. Ah. You know, quite opposite, I was always grateful for that kind of thing. So the so the the critique and feedback is always helpful, whether you whether you think it's warranted or not, or whether you think it's uh, it was mean spirited or not. You listen and analyze and see if it's a problem. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Sometimes uh, it might be a sort of emotional, but mm-hmm. it's another story. So. From your point of view, from now, not your wife's point of view, from your point of view, what would be a bad experience for you when you're dancing with a follower? What attributes would you be unhappy with? Which ones keep you deciding whether you really want to dance with someone or not? Is it their frame? Are they off the music? Are they over embellishing? What what things sort of aggravate you as a leader when you're dancing with a follower? Well, a selfish when when it comes to that with the, some of them they just learn some moves and uh, they're desperate to show off with that moves they don't follow you as a leader but using any opportunity to lead to that moves by themselves <laughs> so what so. you're saying is they're on automatic in other words they they do things uh, without being led they're on automatic and they want to show you that they know how to do something huh right now that we know what your pet peeves are and we sort of got an idea of what the wife is experiencing what do you feel is your long-term goal for tango do you think you're going to be doing it until you can't do it anymore do you feel like you've you've gotten as good as you're going to get and you you can now go and play golf what's your no we, we, we don't plan to quit it it's uh, it's nice it's interesting it's never ending learning and it's a long way perfection that's why it's never a feeling that you accomplished you made it done there is no room for the progress there is always a room we are going to go there so and my last question i'm going to ask you on the record now somebody feels that you're a great dancer and the wife is a great dancer and they they want to learn from you guys. When would you be available to help people who want to take some classes from you guys? When might you consider that that option since you've put 12, 15 years in this dance? When do you think you might want to share your knowledge with somebody who's interested in getting better? At the moment, uh, we have to consider first when all that pandemic uh, ordeal is over. Well, you know, it's difficult to estimate when. Let's say okay. the pandemic is over tomorrow. When would you be willing to help train some people, some newbies, as we say, to help them become great tango dancers like you and the wife? You know what? I don't know. Number one, if you dance well, more or less, Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you can teach well. That's that, one thing. That's true. We, we never had any teaching experience. We can just borrow some teaching tips from mm-hmm. here and there, but right, it's right. not like we have a clear vision and systematic way of doing that. And we are uh, kind of responsible people. We can just pull new students uh, that we know what we are doing, <laughs> deliver them some crap, claiming that that's, that's tango. Mm-hmm. Plus, now the time is very different compared to our beginning time. Okay. So many really good teachers all over, mm-hmm. including Chicago area. Yeah. So there is no shortage of that. Yeah. Different style, different anything. We, what we 
can do mm-hmm. if somebody asks us for some advice or some little help. Yeah, like on the consulting basis, we can do that little thing. But, you know, speaking of uh, competing with those qualified, educated dentists we have <laughs> in the area right now, it just will be very amateur, not professional. That's why maybe one day somewhere, who knows, but nothing. And now I'm asking the same question as your wife. Yeah. And what would your wife have to say about that same question? Uh, she has absolutely same understanding. She is not confident with our ability to teach, mm. as I am. Mm-hmm. And the, the point is that it's probably not going to happen anytime soon mm-hmm. that we will gain this country. Well, that's an honest assessment, and I appreciate your candor. And thank you as your wife, and thank you for your, your time, because you've been great as a split personality. It's nice to- <laughs> It's nice talking to both of you. <laughs> okay, okay. It took, it took a bit longer than I expected, but anyway, it's good to talk about life a little bit. Oh, yeah. So thank you so much. And just before we hang up, because I, I have to go now, tell me, have you tried this? White, white collar? collar? I'm gonna, it's, yeah. on, it's on my viewing for today because... You know, oh, I had okay. a lot of interviews to do today, and I knew I couldn't do it last night. I didn't get but okay. th- three hours sleep. So, so just, uh, just let us know if you like it. All right. I'll let you know. And thanks a million, Vlad. I appreciate the, the interview. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Bye-bye. Okay. Thank Have you. Have a nice evening. Bye. Okay, bye. This Tango Chicago podcast is sponsored in part by the law firm of Chadwick and LaCurtis, located on the beautiful shores of Lake Michigan in Chicago's Hyde Park neighborhood. For the culturally curious, Hyde Park is the Chicago home of the finest U.S. American president, Barack Obama, of Chicago's finest mayor, Harold Washington, of Chicago's finest university, the University of Chicago, of Chicago's finest museum, the Museum of Science and Industry. As the finest law firm in Chicago, Chadwick and Curtis is pleased to serve you in these areas. Personal injury, medical malpractice, civil rights abuses, nursing home negligence, product liability, worker compensation, and wrongful death. You can reach us at 773-955-1088. How are you surviving this age of volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity? What fears hold you back? What gives you resiliency? And what dreams are inviting you forward? I'm Elizabeth, also known as Dr. Elizabeth Ann Stewart, a board-certified, professional-certified life coach. You can learn more about my services at embracingpossibility.com. I would love to hear from you and learn how I can be part of your transition into a new career, a new business or a new self. Just mention this podcast and receive a complimentary no obligation phone session where we can explore next steps.
Goodbye. Hi, this is Al, Al Gates of Tango Chicago. If you've made it this far, you're a true tango junkie. I'm sure you will find the next episode just as inspiring, informative, relevant, and hilarious as our students have always been. If you have questions or comments, please leave them or visit our website at tangochicago.com. Lastly, our sponsors make this podcast possible. So when you spend money with them, contact us with your good or poor reviews of their performance, and we will give you a $25 to $50 gasoline card to compensate you for the time that you take to write the review. So again, thanks for listening. See you on the next episode.